Well, we are in week three now of this series called He Speaks Deep as we look at things that Jesus said or perhaps things that Jesus taught that just led you to deep things. Sometimes these deep things are hard to understand, but sometimes they're not so hard to understand. I mean, we can read it and we can understand it. They're hard to apply. They're hard to live out. The first week we, we talked about things like forgiveness and how we're supposed to not only forgive one another, but we're supposed to also forgive our enemies. We're actually supposed to love our enemies. And then Jesus said, pray for your enemies, those that persecute you, that come against you. Man, that's some deep, that's some deep stuff. And then last week we talked about worry as we continued in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in chapter 6 there, Jesus gave us this challenge to not worry. He said, if you'll reprioritize your life and, and get your life squarely set on me, you'll find out that all these other things will take care of themselves. He said it this way. He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. If you'll pursue the things of me, you'll find out that I'll provide what you need to survive life in this world. And it was such a, such a good challenge for maybe those of us that are in this tumultuous time in, in our world, in our culture, even in, in the United States of America where we just feel like the wheels are coming off, right? But we need to stay grounded and we need to stay focused on Jesus Christ and a great reminder of that. Now, today we're going to be in Luke's gospel primarily. We're going to look at one verse from Mark. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, if you have a paper Bible like mine, uh, turn to Luke's gospel. We're going to begin in chapter 9. As always, uh, if you brought your phone, your tablet, your iPad, you can log in there, download the Oakwood app. And uh, inside the Oakwood app, if you go to sermon notes, all the scriptures, the sermon notes, all the bullet points will be there for you. There's also a way you can take notes yourself, type in your own thoughts. It'll save it for you. So uh, just know that's available to you. We'd love you to engage the word of God on your own so it's something that will carry on into your week and not just, not just Sunday morning for a few minutes. We've been talking about some deep things of Jesus, and I want to begin this morning with a verse from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 36, where Jesus says this, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? It's another call that kind of dovetails on last week where we're talking about priorities, right? I mean, what good is it if a person... If a person could just win the whole world. They could gain every accolade, all the financial stuff, um, just anything this world has to offer. If they gain the whole world, and yet they end up in hell, and yet they forfeit their very soul. So priorities matter. What Jesus says we need to focus on, it matters. It matters our priorities. It matters what we're chasing after and what we're fixing our eyes on. And in today's passages that we're going to look at in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes deep here with a talk on what it means to really follow him and to be a follower of him. Some would call it a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to begin the message this, this morning with a warning, though. Today's passages and the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today are super deep, like like out of the shallow end of the pool into the deep end, maybe jumping off the high dive, plunging 20 feet underwater. It's like, whoa, you might feel the pressure and the weight. Now I'm going to, in the best of my ability that God has given me to um, explain the scripture in such a way that it's clear to you. But I'm telling you the application of today's passage is also equally as hard. We're not in the shallow end. We're into really deep stuff now. 
Some of the passages that we read today can almost have this effect where it leads some to legalism. That if we'll just do this and keep these rules, that that's what saves you. It's the following and the obedience of Christ that saves you, and, and that, is, that couldn't be further from the truth. It is the grace of God that saves you. The Bible says clearly you are saved by grace through your faith. It is not something that man does. It's not something that you can work for. It's not something that you can earn. It comes freely from Jesus Christ. I want us to be reminded of that as we read these texts and passages today, that we would not have this tendency toward legalism and that we lose sight of grace. But at the same time, I want to say this as well. Church, it's just time to grow up. It's time to grow up and to mature spiritually. Uh, Paul puts it this way. He says that we would no longer be infants tossed about by every wind and wave of teaching that comes our way. That we wouldn't be like the crowds that are warned about in the end times where it's like uh, here in the end times people be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and they'll, they'll just like what tickles their ears. Not the hard things of scripture, but just, just the stuff that's easy and the stuff that's fluffy and, and we won't be there I think part of the problem with the church today is that we have a lot of infants running around in the church. And when a church doesn't get any uh, further than like two or three years old, you know what a church like that looks like. It's a bunch of toddlers running around. And it's time that we grow up in our salvation. And in the spirit of that this morning, I want to share our first verse. It comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 23. I'm going to be reading it from the English Standard Version. I just like the translation into English better. So Luke 9, 23 from the ESV, Jesus is talking to his disciples, to his followers, to some of his friends and some people, and he says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now there's, there's a lot there in that one little verse. I mean, think about this. If, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. There's several things that we need to unpack from this. First one's this. We are to make a relationship with Jesus the chief pursuit in our life. A relationship with Jesus is to be the chief pursuit in our life. If you don't get anything else, get that you need to pursue your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is your one thing. It's to pursue this relationship. And Jesus says it this way in the verse. He says, if anyone would come after me. Now, let me explain what he's saying there. He's saying that you would come after, one, after him with what I would call hot pursuit, as maybe you did when you were dating the person that is now your spouse. Do you remember those days? I mean, do you remember the things that you would do? As you were trying to pursue and to woo the one that you were already falling for, you would pursue them. You were in hot pursuit. You, you would do things and say things. You were so polite. Every hair was in place. You smelled better than you ever smelled in your entire life. You looked better than you looked at any time in your entire life. And you went through this phase where you were pursuing them. And it was a beautiful thing. Some of you remember that. I remember that. It's been 25 years for Amy and I. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember going to work every day. And in that age and stage of life, I had free time every evening, right? And then all of a sudden, I met this girl, and my free time was gone. <laughs> I was every night. And literally, we started spending uh, time uh, together every night after work. We both get off about 5 o'clock, and we just, we, you know, it didn't matter if it was her house or my house or go get a picnic or whatever. We just spent time together because why? 
Why were we doing that? It was because we were pursuing this relationship. And in that same spirit, Jesus says here, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would pursue me like that, with passion, with drive, and with fervor, and, and wanting and desiring this depth of intimacy with the Son of God, if anyone would come after me. I think so many other times, if we're being honest, we, we pursue things like that. We just don't pursue Jesus like that. Sometimes we, we pursue things of this world like that. We go hard and heavy after that career path, upward to the right trajectory. We go after our hobbies, hot pursuit, lots of time spent in the hobbies. You know, we go after these accolades, and we, we go after all of these things, and we pursue those things in life. But sometimes we don't pursue the one thing that we really need to be going after in life. And sometimes I think we can get really good at that. I mean, I mean, how, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, how, how did I um, become better at pickleball? Cause I love me some pickleball. It's like, I played pickleball. I, I did pickleball over and over and over again. Now I'll, I'll give you a little fun fact about me that, that probably no one knows except my family. I'm really good <laughs> at making breakfast burritos. I know, isn't that awesome? Really good. Okay, so I have it down to a science, okay? So my wife helped me just in the last couple weeks. She buys this package that's got like all of these veggies in it, and I dump it in. It's almost like fajita mix kind of. Um, and then you, you do that with some sausage and some eggs. You cook it all together. Um, the tortillas that I'm using are these ones that have four grams of net carbs. They're all filled with fiber. Um, they only have 50 calories. I mean, this is a healthy burrito, and it tastes awesome, okay? Had one this morning. I make them up. I make up a big batch. I made up a big batch yesterday. And I freeze them, put them in my freezer. They're awesome. But how did I, how did I get good at doing that? I pursued it. I, I, I had to learn, you know, how to cook the eggs and how to get the ingredients just right and how to make sure that there's not too much cheese but a little bit of cheese, you know, and, and, and get into that place where it tastes so good. You know what I'm talking about. And I was wondering, did anyone have that weird person in your family? And I'm just going to throw the ladies under the bus here. Usually it's a lady. There was like a Kleenex ninja. Did any of you ever have that lady? Um, it was, for me, I'm not gonna throw her under the bus by, by like naming her, but it was one of my grandmas, okay? Um, she had this Kleenex, and it was amazing. This Kleenex, she had this Kleenex all the time. Like this Kleenex was just, like she always had a Kleenex, and sometimes grandma would pull the Kleenex out of weird places. You know, I mean, like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at, right? I was just like, Grandma, where did, that, where did that Kleenex come from? And it was always, it was never like folded or neat or like, you know, when you get a new Kleenex that's flat, it was always wrinkled. And it was amazing because she would like wipe her nose and her eyes. She would, you know, wipe and, and blow her nose and, and, and make this thing and she'd fold it back up or wad it back up and put it away. And then it would come out later. And she could use it again and again. So I, sometimes she was on the same Kleenex for like two or three days. In fact, I think she was maybe going Guinness on me in like maybe a month, you know, same, same Kleenex. But she always had a Kleenex, you know. She's always wiping and, and doing all this kind of stuff. And I thought, you are like a Kleenex ninja, you know. And how does she get good at that? It's because she pursued the skills to be able to do that, right? I mean, she's, you know, a Kleenex Ninja person has got to learn where to put it and how to fold it just right and how to maximize the, the, the potential. Now, I think she was actually operating out of a place of scarcity. I think in the, in, the, in the era that I was in that Kleenex were expensive. I remember being told one time that paper towels were expensive. We don't use them. And I thought, well, why do we have them if we don't, if we don't use them? You don't, you don't use them. You just, you just have them, but you don't use them. 
because they're expensive. And I wonder if that's what the Kleenex thing was about, was we couldn't throw away a snotty Kleenex and get a new one, you know, because we just kept saving it and using it over and over because of scarcity, because of trying to make the best of it. But, but like I said, I kind of come up with this term that she was like a Kleenex ninja, because it was amazing what she could do with the Kleenex. It's because she'd done it over and over and over again. She'd pursued some skill sets. We all pursue some skill sets. Some of you are really good golfers because you've golfed a ton. Some of you are really good at fishing because you fished a ton. Those things aren't bad. But Jesus says, pursue me. Pursue me like you pursue those things. In fact, pursue me more than you pursue those things. If anyone would come after me. And then what does he say the rest of 923? Must deny himself. Take up the cross daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He lays out three things there. You have to understand, number two, there will be sacrifice required to follow Jesus. There will be sacrifice required to follow Jesus. This shouldn't, again, be a foreign concept. There's sacrifice to play golf. It takes four hours to play that dumb game, okay? And it takes me five because I'm chasing my ball everywhere. I can't have I don't know why they put a fairway and you're supposed to hit it. In that. It will not end up in the fairway. Okay, and so it takes me a lot longer to play a round of golf than <clears throat> most, most normal people. But how do you get, at that? get good at that is you, you sacrifice for it. You had to miss this or miss that or, you know, maybe financially you made some sacrifice for it. You made some scheduling sacrifice for it. You're inconvenienced. To get, to get your mad skills in whatever area it is, you sometimes make sacrifices because to say yes to that, it means what? means you have to say no to something else. It's the same thing in relationships. You want to get to know someone, you're going to have to say yes to that relationship, and you might have to say no to what? Another relationship. And I think what Jesus is trying to establish here is that you would want to pursue him and make the sacrifices required to have a relationship with him. What are they? He says, you must deny self. So we know that that's self-denial of your selfish ambitions. What you thought you wanted in life and all of that selfishness is now run through the filter of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has a way of reprioritizing your life to know where he is the first and everything else is details. How did we say it last week? How, how did Jesus say it in Matthew chapter six? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these other things will work themselves out. All these things will be added to you as well if you'll seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. So there's to this, this thing that we have to do is to deny ourselves. If anyone would come after me and pursue me, then deny yourself. Reprioritize on me. I think another thing there is suffering. Deny himself and take up his cross. You know what a cross is, right? Device of execution. You know, it'd be like, a, for us, it'd be like, you know, an electric chair. You know, if you saw it, you'd say, oh, that's, that, 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 that's sacrifice. That's something that represents death to us. And so as we look at the cross, we understand that sometimes in the Christian life, we suffer. It doesn't mean necessarily we'll suffer in a physical way, though that can happen, but maybe we're suffering relationally. Maybe we're suffering at work because we won't do the unethical thing. We won't, we won't, we won't make that decision. We're not going to go down that path. We're going to honor God first and most. We're going to trust in him because he's the priority of our life. And sometimes that means there's suffering. Another thing that happens out of this text is when Jesus simply at the end of 923 says, follow me. He says, follow me. There is obedience to the commands and the call of God that are required to follow Jesus, to be a disciple 
of Jesus. And I think when he says here to take up your cross daily and follow me, that the suffering and the obedience and maybe even some of the sacrifices that you have to make are there. If anyone will come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. It's deep. And that's Luke chapter 9. If we skip over just a few more chapters, we end up in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible or you're following along the app, uh, please turn there. Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 26. Before we read this text that's super deep, it's going to need some explanation, I want to set up what's happening. Most scholars believe that at this time, this was the height of popularity in Jesus' ministry. Large crowds were following him. They were following him for all the wrong reasons. They weren't following him because they loved him and they wanted to serve him. They were following him because, hey, you might get a free lunch. I mean, I heard he, heard he fed 5,000. And that was just the men. That was just counting the men. It was probably like 25,000, 30,000 people with all the families. You might get a free lunch. He does miracles, like miracles that you can't explain. Okay, it's not like the magician's miracles. I mean, these, Jesus heals people. They were like sick or crippled their whole life. Jesus also speaks in a way of authority, and I'm telling you what, he's kind of ticking off some of, the, some of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Even the Sanhedrin got him on the radar, and, and he speaks as one with authority like that we've never heard speak before. I mean, he's awesome, and I love his message. It's, you know, it's love, you know. I mean, if they'd heard the Sermon on the Mount, they're like, you know, that was a great sermon and one of the best of all time. It's like, this is Jesus. So people are following him because he's popular. They're following him for miracles. They're following him for all these reasons. And then you get to Luke 14. And it's almost, you feel like when you read this, you're like, well, wait a second here. Jesus is trying to thin the crowd. Jesus has decided there's too many people following me, and so I, I want to cut this thing down. But that's not actually what Jesus is doing in this passage. What Jesus is doing is being 100% honest with people about what is the cost of discipleship. What does it actually mean to be a disciple and a follower of me? And that's where we're going to pick it up. Let's, go, let's even go back here to verse, uh, to verse 25. It says that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Do you know the sacrifice it would take to travel with Jesus? People are leaving their jobs. They put off their vacation. They put off their, their work that they were doing on their house. Large crowds. Jesus' height of popularity. Probably thousands of people following him. And he turned to them and he said this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, then such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then he gives us some illustrations of this. Hey, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, well, this person began to build, but wasn't able to finish. And then he gives us another one. Or suppose that a king is about to go off to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace, negotiation. In the same way, 
Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, and it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Wow. There's, there's so much to unpack here. And number three in your outline is this. A true disciple loves Jesus deeply more than anyone or anything else in this life. A true disciple loves Jesus deeply more than anyone or anything else in this life. That's deep. The way Jesus says it here can really bug a person, right? Especially in what we learned two weeks ago where Jesus said, love your enemies, and now he's saying, hate your mom and dad. Hate your children. Hate your brother or sister. Hate even your own Life, And that's why I want to unpack this to understand what is Jesus saying here. As you study this out, you understand that Jesus is using a, a speech technique here. It is actually called hyperbolic Hebrew idiom. That's what he's doing. He's using a hyperbolic Hebrew idiom in the language to say hate when he is meaning love less. You must love less your father, your mother, your children, and even your own life, your brothers and sisters, than me. And he says it in a strong way. He says it in this, this overstatement, if you will, for the purpose of shock value. He wants you to be shocked by what he's saying. He wants that crowd that's following him by the thousands to, 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 to say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. What did he just say? And to really hone on on his point, which is that you've got to love me more than anyone or anything else in your life. To pursue me, to follow me, to be a real disciple of mine. You gotta love me more than the person that you think you love the most in this world. You have to love me a step beyond that. Sometimes we like to soften the blow a little bit, right? When we read scripture, it's like, okay, well, you know, that's what it says, but that's not what it meant. But Jesus is clear. He says exactly what he means. And if it makes you feel better to say, well, he meant love less than hate. Let me be clear that the demand is the same, is that you would love Jesus so much that it would feel like hate to others because of your great, passionate love that you have for him. Jesus is stating here, I come before your family. Jesus comes before family. And you may say, well, you know, the thing with Jesus is that he, you know, he was very loving and he's called the Prince of Peace and he would never, you know, want to make turmoil. But if we read Luke just a couple chapters before this, we find out that Jesus actually makes a statement in there that it, kind of like a self-proclaimed homewrecker just two chapters before this. In Luke chapter 12, verses 51 and 53, Jesus says this, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two or two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And just notice it doesn't say anything about son-in-law in there. Okay? <laughs> just want to point, point that out. 
what's Jesus mean by this, about division? Because what he's saying is there's going to be families where two of you decide to follow me and love me and put me first, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and there's going to be three of you that don't. And it's going to cause tension and turmoil in the family because of the, the, because of the colliding worldviews around the dinner table. Because of the priority of life is why do you spend all of our money on this? We should be spending our money on this. Because it changes everything in your life, including your actions and your attitudes and the way you treat people and the way you love people. And whether you're a negative person with negativity just spewing out of your mouth all the time or a positive person with positivity and words that build up others according to their needs. It changes everything. And what Jesus is saying here is the dinner table won't be the same anymore if you really choose to love and to follow me, you're going to take up your cross daily and you're going to deny yourself and it's going to cause division. It's going to cause sons against their fathers and fathers against their sons because one's going to choose to follow and the other one is not. It's going to be the same between mothers and daughters and mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law and not son-in-laws, but everyone else. They will. No, it's good. Folks, this is, this is deep stuff. Because Jesus is not really saying here that you are to hate your family. You, you understand that, right? He's simply saying that you love me so much that it would feel like hate to your family because of this great, passionate love that you have for me. Whoa, this is, this, this, this is deep, right? Deep. And yet what Jesus is trying to say here is, again, I am the priority. I am the first. I am to be your pursuit. And what you'll find out if you'll reorganize your life and you'll just try pursuing me more than anything else. What you're going to find out is that the rest of life's going to line out. The next thing we learn from this passage is that a true disciple will take up their cross and follow Jesus. We talked about this before from Luke 9, 23, that there's this way of self-denial, but also of suffering. And sometimes we suffer for obeying Christ. But I'm here to tell you, there will be sacrifice if you follow Jesus. A true disciple will take up their cross and follow Jesus because they will have to and are required to sacrifice for Jesus. And sometimes you will sacrifice to honor Christ's commands. To actually obey and do what scripture says will have a cost. It is a sacrifice. You can think of this in, in, in terms of categories. You can say, because I am a true disciple, because I am called by Christ to, to suffer and to sacrifice, to take up my cross daily and to follow Jesus, then that means this at work. That means I, I'm going to walk this way in my career path. That means that in my relationships, that, that purity is going to be the key. That, that means that in my finances, that God is first in my finances. And I'm going to live and operate my checking account and my savings account and my investments as he commands in Scripture. Because by doing so, I'm walking out a pursuit of the things of God, of how much he loves us and how much I am to love him. And so the question comes down to really this, what might you be needing to sacrifice 
for Jesus so that you can pursue more of Jesus? What would you, might you be needing to sacrifice to follow Jesus? And here's maybe even a, a greater question. Back it up even a little bit more. When was the last time you made a sacrifice to follow Jesus? I find that the more I sacrifice for Jesus, the more blessed I am. Spiritual blessings, financial blessings. It's like you can't outgive God. <laughs> and the amazing thing is, like, I was thinking about this fall. You know, we're offering discipleship on Wednesday nights, all these discipleship groups on all these different things to help you grow in depth and maturity in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you, that might be your sacrifice. Is Wednesday night was kick up and watch ESPN and grill night, and now I'm going to do Jesus on Wednesdays. 6.30 to 7.30. I'm going to make that a priority in my life. That's part of this pursuit. I know I work late, but I'm telling work. I'm getting off at 6.15 so I can get to discipleship at 6.30 and expect growth. Expect to meet Jesus here. Some of you may be the men's conference coming up. It says you're going to have to sacrifice something and say, this, this is priority now. This is priority. I, I got to make this happen. I know I could do this. I had this really fun activity planned, but... I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it a priority on Sunday mornings to be in the Lord's house. Not only just as an example to my family, and not only because of the fellowship and the gathering of the saints and what it says in Hebrews about that, to not forsake the gathering together, and all the more as we see the day of judgment approaching, but to make it a priority to have this relationship, to pursue Jesus even more. What do you need to sacrifice to follow Jesus? But again, when was the last time? that you made a sacrifice to follow Jesus. And if you say, I don't know, then I would try to encourage you to try making a sacrifice for Christ and to watch how he will bless you. Last thing this morning, a true disciple is willing to give up everything they have to follow Jesus. They're willing to give up everything they have. Now, some, some Christians read that and, and, and let's, just, let's just read it in, in verse 33. Jesus says this. Remember, he's told the stories about counting the cost of following him, counting the cost of you know, the king that was at war and the person that was building a building and that they would count the cost before they start breaking ground and doing all those things. And he gets to verse 33 and Jesus says this. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Jesus is clear and definitive in those three statements. If you don't hate your family, if you don't love me most, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not sacrifice, take up your cross daily and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. And here he says, if you do not give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. And some people read that and say, oh, okay, well, that's, that's it. That's that vow of poverty of being a Christian. As you become a Christian, you, you take a vow of poverty and you can't have anything and, and you can't have a roof over your head and you can't own a car. Um, you, you, can't, you can't have these things. You can't do these things. And yet I would, put, I would push back on that a bit and say this, that the priority of what you own would be Jesus, everything that you own. A good exercise might be to think about it in this way. When you go home today and you park that car in the driveway or in your garage, is, is you think it's titled to your name. Now it's titled to JC. The deed on your home JC. Your favorite fishing pole? JC. Favorite golf clubs? JC. Everything that you have, 
your refrigerator, your appliances, everything is JC. Because we learn from scripture that God owns it all and provides it all for us. We, we just studied that a couple weeks ago, or, or last week, about worry. Remember what Jesus said? Do not worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll wear. Remember the example he gave us, the birds? Look at the birds. Oh, look at the flowers of the field. God takes care of them. How much more, you made in the image of God, how much more will he take care of you? Oh, you have little faith. Have a big faith in God. And make the sacrifices and reprioritize your life that you are actually willing to give up everything you have and say, it's all God's. I'm bringing all of my resources for you. God, how can I leverage my home for ministry to Jesus? How can I leverage my car? How, how can I leverage everything that I have for you? Because it's not mine to begin with. You have provided everything that I need. So it's not necessarily a vow of poverty. It's a vow, again, of sacrifice. And are you willing to sacrifice it for Jesus? Because God owns it all and gives it all to us. And I think the reason the scripture says that is so that we aren't owned by our stuff. God owns it so it doesn't own us. And if you think about that, you can think of some people right now that are struggling with the ownership issue. They're owned by their stuff. They're owned by their debt. They're owned by that next experience that has to be a little bit better and a little bit more exotic than the experience before, or it just doesn't satisfy. But a true disciple is willing to give up everything they have to follow Jesus. Make a commitment to use your resources for his mission and his glory. Whether that be resources with your hands, resources with your checking account or your, or your, or your savings or, or even your investments, Re resources that are already in your possession, that you would choose to use those to fund his mission and his heart and his passion and fund it well. And then we get to the end, the end of the passage. And Jesus ends it with this line that I, I, I struggled with it when I read it. It's very pointed and in, in your face. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then he's done. End of 14. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I was like, what did, what did Jesus say that for? Why did he say it there? He's got the crowds following him. He's at the height of popularity. He just threw down, hate your family, Take up your cross and give up everything you have, or you can't be my disciple. And whoever has ears to hear this, let them hear. And when you study it out, you find out Jesus was kind of saying, some of you get it and some of you don't. Some of you are going to choose to obey and to follow me, and some of you aren't. Some of you have it in your heart to turn and repent of your sins and to follow me, and some of you don't. <laughs> it's this moment where I'm just like, Jesus like, says, you know, he has ears to hear, let him hear. Mic drop, and he walks off. And I struggle as a pastor, like, ending the sermon here because I was like, well, that's, that's the, end of, the end of 14. You know, you're like, well, man, I just struggle. I could see why you gave the warning about legalism at the beginning and then the rule following and all of this because really is it, can I do, can I love Jesus, can I do all these things? without an enabling from him and from his spirit? Do I do this in my own power in the flesh or is this only something that comes by a relationship with Jesus Christ? Then one of the bad things about the Bible is we have chapters. 
that we put in there to organize so we could reference. But the, Jesus' teaching here doesn't stop at 14. It actually bleeds into 15. And so I think we'd be remiss to not, to not know what comes next. And if you go to chapter 15 in the text, you'll find out that Jesus shares three stories about the kingdom of God and about the passion of the heavenly father. It's lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Or some of you may know that passage as the prodigal son. Why would Jesus, who's just thrown it down about all of these requirements for being a follower of him, then come back and just, just a smidgen later and, and say, we're concerned about lost sheep. In fact, we'd leave the 99 to go after the one, the lost one. Just, so, just, like, a, just like a widow who's in her house and loses a coin and then she finds it. And so it will be in the kingdom of heaven when lost things are found. And then the prodigal son. And you remember that story. The, the, the amazing thing about the prodigal son is the dad is on the porch when the prodigal son comes back. What does that say? The dad was looking for him. The dad was hoping and praying and pulling for him and expecting him, oh, come home. Come home, dear child of mine. And he, he, didn't, he didn't just stop there. He was out on the porch. He was looking. And when his son, who squandered all of his wealth and all of his inheritance, that smelled like pigs and looked like junk, was off in the distance. It says, while he was still far off, the father saw him. And Jesus is using this to illustrate how God pursues us. And yet, what did he say in Luke 9.23 and at the beginning in chapter 14? Is it what? He wants us to pursue him. Folks, he's already pursued us. If there were a hundred thousand steps between you and God, God would take 99,999 of them and leave one step, your decision to give your life and your heart to Jesus Christ. And then you'll find out when you surrender all how to follow Jesus by loving him, by serving him, by sacrificing him, by taking up your cross daily. And what you'll find the, the people that do this in scripture talk about is what a blessing it is and how it's the best life you can ever have in this world is to follow Jesus Christ. So there's hope. 